The topic or theme for reflection that's been um, predominantly on my mind for the last couple of months or so is <laughs> uh, this uh, six practice steps from inside dialogue. So, so this is a this is a theme which I've I've picked up from picked it up again was listening to the. Um, recordings of a retreat that um, Ajahn Sukhachito gave at uh, Amaravati. And it's, it was a, not a usual kind of format, the usual format that we do for meditation retreats, the, the, the silent uh, meditation retreat. But he used that format of inside dialogue. Uh, Ajahn Sukhachito is a German monk who lives at Amaravati and he has been actually trained in that particular format, has become a teacher of uh, inside dialogue. Inside Dialogue is, uh, well, it's, it's a format that's been created, I think, and that from fairly recently, I don't know how long ago, by uh, an American teacher from the, out of the kind of Theravada umbrella, I think, kind of a Vipassana teacher from the West Coast, I believe, of, of the United States. And he created this out of the observation that he had, particularly he felt in the lay environment of, of lay meditators that there was a kind of, a, he felt an overemphasis on the format of silent meditation retreats. A few of you will have done Vipassana retreats in some form or another. They are on offer all over the world. There's slightly different forms to it. But there's a usual, usual kind of standard format that they share but one of the structural formats is that's, that's, that, that you're encouraged to observe what's called noble silence. Um, same here, usually, if you do meditation retreats here. And the, the practice is very much individual. I mean, you, you go there to develop your meditation practice, formal meditation practice. That's what it's about. Sometimes, I know, uh, depending where you go or uh, who the teachers are, there's even a specific instruction that uh, I heard before, that you're encouraged basically, even though that you might be there with 50 other people or so, that you basically more or less ignore them, that you imagine they are just on your own, you know, in order to really kind of, the idea that you really focus and concentrate so you don't get distracted um, in, in your energies, your attention by, you know, worrying too much about other people around you. And that can, of course, be that's, that, that's, there's, of course, a message behind the idea, and that can be very, uh, uh, very potent. It can be quite powerful no, to have that, that kind of practice. However, um, this American teacher's name, by the way, is, is Gregory Kramer. He felt, well, it's fairly obvious if you're familiar, of course, with the Buddha's teachings, um, look at the suttas. The Buddha, of course, taught much more than just silent meditation. No? For a start, we're talking about the Eightfold Pass. Uh, lots of things are included there. And more specifically, the Buddha was also very encouraging of not just the hearing of the Dhamma, but also the dis discussion of the teachings. Um, you might remember the, uh, the discourse on, on the highest blessings, the Mahamangala Sutta, actually timely discussion 
uh, of the, the teachings of the Dhamma is, is considered one of the highest blessings. And the very structure of the suttas, usually, those are recordings of the Buddha teaching. And so sometimes he gives kind of a, a talk, but usually he is actually in, in, in dialogue, he's actually discussing um, with, with other monks and nuns or, or lay people. And so uh, he is not just telling people how it is, but he engages actually uh, his, um, uh, the people he encounters that he's teaching to and in, in, a, in, a, in a reflection, no? in, in a dialogue. Now, that might be, to a you know, lesser or greater extent, part of your practice as well. Like sometimes we, we of course, we, we have, for example, we have the, the lay discussion group here uh, once a month, uh, which Cass is leading, isn't it, every, every second Saturday of the month. And I don't know if you know, some of you will have attended. And, and, of course, we also encourage people at other times, you know, like every Saturday, like today, usually one of the monks is available to discuss the teaching. You might have uh, spiritual friends, Kalyanamitas, no? with, with whom you talk about the practice. And naturally, that's of course also a reality. When, if you live in a spiritual community like here in, in, in the monastery, to a certain extent, we're kind of steeped in this, isn't it? You're always kind of, you might be reading about the Dhamma, you're, you're listening to talks, also discussing with, with your other, uh, with, with your fellow monastics. However, it's probably true that it's, it is actually the case that by and large in the lay Buddhist world there is a focus, almost a kind of fixation, I think, for many people that I mean the practice is formal individual meditation and if you want to intensify then you go on to this silent meditation retreats where you work on your practice, your meditation practice and and you don't even notice of you know what other people are doing around you there. So basically, yeah, I mean, he is not this, and rightfully so, of course, not dismissive of that practice at all. It's a very important part of the practice. But he felt there can be usually something missing, and he wanted to to offer this other format to supplement that, which he called. Uh, inside dialogue. Now, on an, in a formal inside dialogue retreat, there's still, interesting, there's, the, there's, the, there's a format of noble silence. No? So generally throughout the day, people keep noble silence, because it recognizes it's a very important element of the practice to, to heighten practice, to focus on what's going on in your own mind, to not have this possibility of dispersing energy just to, through kind of, you know, making contact, verbal contract, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the kind of ordinary ways we do throughout the day. So people would have the breakfast in silence, would have the meal in silence, would, would spend the day and, and share the space together in, in silence throughout the day. There'd also be pujas and some silent meditations, perhaps a morning and evening meditation. But throughout the main part of the practice together, say the morning sessions and afternoon sessions, there would be specific Sessions, the main sessions would be discussion sessions. So the, 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 the instruction there is actually not to be silent and not to just focus on your practice, but to engage with the others in, in discussion. No? So there might be two or three sessions in the morning, like we have here in retreats, usually like two or three meditation sessions in the morning, the afternoon. You would have discussion sessions in the morning, the afternoon. And sometimes you might discuss just with one partner 
No? People just spread out throughout the, the, the room and you, get, you pair up just with one other person, sometimes maybe in small groups, and sometimes even like, like a forum, the, all, the, all the group together, you know, creating a circle. Uh, and then you might be given a particular theme, like a traditional theme from the, from the suttas, or a more contemporary formulation of a theme, like I, I remember from the, 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 the retreat that Ajahn Sukhachit was giving, the themes that they had, where the first one was um, generosity, to discuss various aspects of, of generosity. The second one was sila, or morality. The last one was uh, impermanence. So obviously that's, that's a good idea, and you might have some experience every now and then we like to discuss some of those topics with other people, and that can be very helpful to get other people's reflection on it, friends' reflections, and also to hear ourselves talking about those things, to actually, as a process, we become more clear what those things actually mean for us no? by talking about other people. His idea was practice didn't stop there, but what he was particularly interested in is to bring actually the training that supposedly we all do, you know, in mindfulness, to this situation where you are actually in dialogue. No? So it's a specific emphasis idea about this aspect of right speech, which is one of the, one of the factors of the, of the Eightfold Path, of course. So in that, in that retreat format, he would not just have people talk to each other about those topics, but also then to try to be mindful when you are interacting, discussing those things, uh, with another person. That is to say, what is actually happening in my mind, in my heart, in my body, uh, when, I'm, when I'm discussing, when I'm talking about those things. You know, things that maybe, you know, what, you know, anything that comes up, of course, you know, things, topics that maybe I feel awkward about, or I feel bored, or when I get excited, some things I feel really passionate about. You know, to feel, to really be aware of those things. You know, because um, the idea is, of course, if we can actually train mindfulness in a situation like that, in a formal situation, this kind of slightly idealized kind of practice conditions, we can actually learn skills that we can then hopefully apply also in our daily lives. And speech, of course, is, is something, and in, interaction with other people through speech is, is the standard or classic situation, of course, that comes up all the time for us in daily life. And also, it's a classic situation where usually we lose mindfulness, isn't that the case? No? And it's one of the traditional problems so in, in traditional meditation retreats, usually at the end, um, the question comes, well, how do, can I actually maintain you know, what, the clarity or whatever I have developed in this retreat in the daily life when I have actually to interact with people all the time, you know, get maybe, maybe even difficult interactions or, or, or overload with interactions, get stressed out. It's, it's a usual experience that, well, it's fine, I can develop mindfulness and, and presence with my experience and maybe even you know, quite some sharpness and clarity and insight in these situations of, of noble silence where I don't have to interact with, with anybody except myself, you know, or at least if I interact with other people, I do it just silently. But once I get out and I, I have to actually talk to other people again, I, I lose mindfulness. It's, it's a, we all, I guess, share this experience. It's actually one of the, 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 the activities where you most easily actually lose mindfulness. You know, even like if you just work, you know, you can, if, you just, if you just have to do some work and you just do manual work or something, and then you can still you know, you can focus maybe on, on what you're doing, you can do, do it mindfully. But as soon as somebody comes in and asks you some questions and you, you know, get this, they have to interact and just 
it's, it's all gone. At least if your mind is like my mind, I mean, that's, that's what happens to me. No? So that was one of his main ideas. So that obviously, if this is if this is a very common experience for meditators that you actually create also this also this this contrast which becomes a conflict, that pay some attention to that and actually offer a format where we can actually train in that. You know, they have a formal training in that and see whether we cannot maybe thereby learn and take some of that you know, into our um, the more difficult kind of daily life experiences. So in a formal retreat center situation, of course you can facilitate that in a way where like say you start to have, have, have people discuss a topic and they've got of course the encouragement to see what's actually going on for them. And usually like say, uh, like for example, in that retreat I was listening to, you would you would step up as it were. The, the pressure would get more difficult. We would start maybe first. There's the agreement that only one person one person is talking, and the, your partner is just listening. So then the one who's talking was probably more difficult. You know, can just notice what comes up the internal energies while 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 you're talking. The one who's listening doesn't have to actually respond. You know, so you just see what you just try to listen mindfully and see what happens to you, how you respond what you pick up when you actually listen to somebody. So it's a way in which you can actually train yourself also and learn about how to actually listen, how to, how to properly listen. What is actually happening when you listen to somebody? You know? When do you get interested? When do you start to switch off? You know? What do we actually read? How much is actually the verbal communication? How much do you actually pick up through, you know, by just looking at the body language and all those things? It can be a very interesting thing to just train oneself and to look at, to be actually able to start to pick up a bit more and also to work with one's internal patterns of how we react to other people when we listen. You know, if, if we get the urge to, to want to interfere, to want to respond, you know, to maybe sometimes a bit too early, you know, rather than, than holding back a bit and let the other person talk first. Those kind of things. Then they would change around. You know, second round, the other person would talk and the first talker would listen. And then in the last round, they're going to have to negotiate you know, the, the dialogue. So you know, who's going to talk, who's going to listen, and then, and then respond to each other. You know? This gets ever more closer to a real-life situation, if you like. You know? So it's a gradual training. <laughs> and, but then not only that, like then also the facilitator, you know, or the, the teacher, then every now and then, say, while the people are uh, engaged in discussion, would ring a bell. And that would basically mean when he rings the bell, you just stop, you know, even in mid-sentence. Right. And that gives you, of course, this chance to just get a snapshot of where your mind is actually at that moment when the bell rings. You know, whether if you've just have, if you actually just lost, or lost a little bit or completely, you know, awareness of part of the experience of your body, maybe of the internal drive, the energy that's behind what you're saying, what you're sharing. Suddenly, boom, there's a, there's a bell, and then you look. Ah, okay, what's actually happening right now? No? So as the main point then in, in those kind of set up formal discussions, it's not necessarily, it's going to be part of it, but you don't have to come kind of to a conclusion about the topic that you're talking about. But it's the, the main emphasis is really to develop mindfulness about what is actually happening while you're engaging about a topic with another person. So that's all very interesting. Uh, I found um, just listening through that retreat, and so far I, I haven't actually done a, myself a retreat like that. But it seems to be very um, valuable for for people. I mean, I just heard the listen to the sharing of the people who who did take part in that, and and everybody seemed to have got 
out a lot out of it, and, and could, many people were quite surprised. It wasn't really quite what they expected. Some people even had resistance to it at the beginning, but were surprised how much insight could actually arise for them out of a situation like that. That is not a traditional just you know refine, refine, refine down your attention in, in a formal, quiet individual meditation, but an engagement about a theme of dhamma with somebody else. I felt they learned a lot about themselves and also about the topics that they were talking about. So might serve as an encouragement to some of you to maybe check it out sometime, you know, certainly as a recommendation, as a supplement. So if you find something like that on offer, it might be interesting. The one thing I just wanted to touch on today, of course, uh, it goes certainly beyond uh, just what one can do, say, in, in a setup of a formal uh, practice session or retreat, is those particularly six practice steps that um, this man, Gregory Kramer, had formulated to facilitate this process. So those are basically the six suge suggestions you know, to, to people who want to practice this um, about what maybe to pay attention to, you know, how to go about it. And that's something I found quite useful because it's something that you can also do you know, at any time. You know, like you know, another one of those lists that Theravada Buddhism is, is uh, very proud of, has lots of. So this is a modern kind of list, which fits very well, I find, with, with, with other Theravada lists. Something that one can just reflect upon and see whether any of this might be useful and come in handy, you know, sometimes when we, when we do uh, in our lives try to be more mindful when we engage with other people through speech. So the first one I already mentioned, it's pause. No, that's like what on the retreat is facilitated. So when the bell rings, you just press the pause button and you just stop. Uh, now we can, of course, sometimes maybe practice that in daily life. Sometimes that might create a bit of awkward situations if you're in the middle of an animated conversation and you just stop. <laughs> uh, the other people might be a bit puzzled about that and think you're slightly odd. Or they might just use, of course, opportunity to put in more of their stuff <laughs> while you're you stopping. But I think we can probably, to a certain extent, just do that internally, isn't it? If you, if you don't stop completely, maybe at least you're mentally kind of slow down a bit and just use it as a reminder to actually really, if, if, if you do remember the trick with any sort, like with mindfulness, is of course we do have to remember. You know, if you don't remember, then you know, we don't even get onto the train. But if you do remember, well, the first one is stop. So notice, like when you just maybe you're just getting heated up because you're upset about somebody, you're just getting carried away with excitement because somebody gives you a chance to talk about your favorite political idea or whatever it is. And you notice, you know, something happening. And if you remember, just, ah, just stop for a moment or pause and notice what is actually going on. You get this snapshot of where your mind is. What is actually the energy behind my sharing or what I'm saying? You know, is it whatever? What's the quality of the energy? Particularly whether we feel it's, it's driven, is it compulsive, is it just reactive, does it come from kindness, whatever. Just to have this chance to actually have this moment to strengthen the mindfulness of what is actually going on in our mind you know, as, as we're engaging with speech. Now if you do that, if you do remember that, then we can come to the uh, second one. And I, I usually, I, I've I've, I've, if I've talked about this before, I've been offering a, a guessing game you know, to ask people, well, what do you think, what's the second step? And, and so, it, so far, nobody had actually guessed correctly. Most, <laughs> most people move on to think about, well, 
maybe reflect or, or, or notice or something like that. And it's interesting, um, so we come actually to some of that later. The second step in this particular formulation is actually is relax. No, just relax. Most of the time, you know, when we engage with life, with activities, or with other people, it's actually a good idea. <laughs> and uh, uh, specifically, of course, if you, if you notice, or it's the first, if you pause and we notice, well, there is actually behind there is, is there is a certain kind of driven energy. There's some tension. Very often there is, you know, some form of tension. Then, of course, relax is, is a very logical suggestion. And it might not be, we might find that actually quite difficult. We might actually have to keep, you know, keep actually considering that for a few times or so keep suggesting it because you know if you're really if you're really going for it if you're really kind of motivated we might just keep feeling this kind of oh yeah relax but you know we just we're gonna have to you know just gonna bring over this point you know no, relax you know i'm gonna have to say something now you know no, relax you know, sometimes it just needs a few a few we have to try a few times but we probably notice that any at any time at least that's my experience even if you can just relax a little bit no, just a little bit, and usually, if we if we can remember and even just bring up the suggestion to relax, even if we might not be able to relax as much as we like to, some ease of tension might be happening. You know? and that uh, that bit of ease of tension is always useful. You know? that bit of tension less is less suffering because tension is suffering. So pause relax, and then the third one I find particularly interesting, it's, um, uh, it's open. That's, that's, that's the way, well, that's a formulation that, that Gregory Kramer chooses, open. And what does that mean? In this, in this particular context, it means something very specific. It actually means open, opening the focus of attention. And that's perhaps the one I find most crucial or most interesting um, to reflect upon. Because I find that much of the time, if you're just on autopilot or just not very mindful, uh, not, not aware, when, when we, uh, as we, in, in our daily life, as we engage um, in our activities or in conversations with other people, we might actually once we actually notice, see that our focus of attention is actually quite narrow. And this narrowness is uh, strongly centered on, on, on the sense of me and, and mine. I think that's, 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 that's the narrowness which is, is, uh, is crucial here, I think. Now, how much we're usually driven compulsively and habitually by you know, the, 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 the uh, self-referential way of, of attending to life and to experience. You know, how much we're driven by this, those kind of programs about my agenda, say, my plan for the day, my idea of what, of my, what I have to do today or, what, what, or my opinions or my needs or my projects or my anything, you know. If that is the case, it certainly filters the way that we perceive what is actually happening right now very much down to, to you know, a narrow range of what actually fits in or, or how this fits in anything that happens, what we pick up uh, with, with, with me and mine, with, 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 with my view, my needs, my agenda, 
what I need to do and so forth, what I want from this situation. Even the way that we attend to other people, I mean, even to the extent that we are aware, obviously, we are engaging with other people, the way we perceive them or what, what is important about it for us is, is, still, is still perceived in this self-referential way. You know? How what she says is affecting me. You know? What I think about his opinion or what I need them to do in order that my plan for how to get along with this project is going to be fulfilled. You know? Or what I can do in order that I'm not going to be blamed for this or that is, is happening. You know? Or what, how do they perceive me? You know, it's always it's this self-referential kind of aspect to it. And isn't that tied together with suffering, usually? No. This, 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 this self-referential concern that, 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 um, f that is kind of imposed upon all our experiences and through which um, we, we filter all our perceptions. So if we, if we in the, with this first steps, if we can just pause, notice that and see the tension in that, relax that, and then open the focus, you know, something quite different can happen. You know, all, a lot of that can actually basically just relax. Relaxation, you know, the, the second step goes, goes a step further. And it's just basically a simple shift of perception. You know, suddenly, we just realize all this me, mine, anything that I could identify with as, as me or what's mine, it's just, it's just part of a much, much larger picture. You know, of the large picture, the whole of course, but also any particular situation, like right now. You know. Just not, I mean, necessarily, of course, to some way, you know, just like me and you as well, will, of course, live this kind of shared situation that we are in through your particular kind of perspective, through your particular kind of conditioning, your background, your ideas, your needs, your, all the rest of it, your opinions, your whatever, your feelings, your physical comfort or discomfort and so forth. You know? But if you can, for a moment, just become mindful of that and see that and put that into perspective, then we can just open up and just can much in a much more direct and more fresh way actually perceive that well there's a whole context here you know? there's an, there's a wholeness of this experience in which anything that's me or mine is just an integral part of but the the other people are there are actually quite independent individual people who are there on their own right no, with their own opinions, their own agendas, their own views, their own feelings, their own priorities, which might have nothing to do with mine. And they are just as important or unimportant as mine. You know, just because mine are the ones that I, through which I, I experience all this reality doesn't mean that it actually is you know, in, the, in, the, in the context as a whole any more important. It's just more important for me. And we, we can actually use very sophisticated and complicated reflections around this whole topic um, of non-self, you know, how is there a self or what, what is a self and how is self, non-self and all that, and can be quite confusing. But actually, if we, if, we, if we look at it in this way, it's just a very simple shift of perception. It's not a complicated reflection. And yet, if we can actually experience it and just open our focus of awareness and taking in the whole situation, putting ourselves into that context, into that perspective, a lot of that suffering that is bound up with this overemphasized focus on me and myself 
with a self-referential focus is actually shifted out of the picture as well. It can be quite a, a sudden, radical kind of ease you know, in the way that we actually feel in this situation as well. So then from then, it's not so difficult to move on to the, the fourth step, which is uh, trust emergence, which sounds a bit strange, maybe. sounds a bit strange to me first, a bit, bit new age, perhaps. <laughs> but what is actually behind that, uh, what what's, uh, the, 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 you know, uh, Gregor Kramer um, was referring to that so in, in his view, was um, that was his reference to impermanence. The way to make the connection, think of it like that. If you, if you, once you open your focus of attention, just being aware of this whole, um, the wholeness of this situation, what is it that you actually pay attention to? Or what is actually happening? You know, there is this constant emergence of experience you know, through all the six senses, all those experiences emerging all the time. And of course, changing and shifting all the time and ceasing. And most of it, most of the time, is actually out of our control. We don't have any control over it. Out of this, this wholeness of experience, it's just a very limited range over which we have some kind of control. And yet, again, our overemphasized, habitual overemphasized self-referential focus on me and mine is actually completely bound up or strongly bound together with this idea of trying to control our experience. Now, how can I manipulate and control this experience so that I'm going to be all right? That's the that's bottom line, basically, of that story, isn't it? Of me and my control, my, my constant trying to control my experience and manipulate in subtle, sometimes obvious ways, my environment and also other people. You know, what do need I to do in order to have a certain kind of effect on other people so that they behave in a way that is comfortable for me? A lot of our energy actually goes in that intention. And how often is that actually frustrated? Other people just don't behave the way we, we would like or, or keep trying to make them behave you know, because they've got their own priorities, agendas, views, feelings, and so forth, which we don't have control over. So if you can see that, you know, once we open our focus and we can actually follow to a certain extent you know, this suggestion, this invitation to maybe invest in that possibility to not manipulate so much, not try so much to control, but to trust, trust in emergence, trust in what is emerging, suggesting that maybe it's all right. No? Maybe we don't need to control so much. Maybe, maybe the situation is just going to move on more or less okay anyway, you know, with, without me having to be in there and making sure all the time that it's going to be all right. Of course, it's, it's a risk, it might not be. But, but it's just, I, li I like actually the sound of this, just, just this just idea of the, that invitation of the possibility to invest a little bit of more of trust. Because I, I know for myself, in my mind, you know, personally, I, I tend to have a tendency, you know, a, of personal tendency towards wor uh, worry, you know, worrying about things. Uh, you know, if I've got work projects I have to deal with and also make sure that everything's going to be all right and worrying about that or having to go maybe into a 
difficult situation, maybe a discussion that you have to with somebody, and then you plan ahead what you're going to say, and you already think you know what the other person is going to say, and, and, and then you, you think about what, how you're going to respond to what the other person is going to say, and how they're going to respond to what you're going to respond to what they're going to say, and how this is going to really going to be difficult. And then you're all going to kind of, well, I, I can be like that, you know, I'm already kind of called tense up with anticipation about how this is really going to be difficult. And of course, and actually 100% of the times, it's not going to be the way that I'm going to imagine. Usually it's actually, it's actually much easier. Uh, sometimes it might be worse, but it's, it's always different. You know? it, it's not going to be the way that I, I, I think it's going to be. But also, with, with hindsight, usually in some way or another, it's always going to be all right. It's, it's very interesting about this, this possibility to trust. You know, looking at it's, it's the two ends of trust, the near end of trust, I like to reflect on this is sometimes it's how actually we all the time in order to get on with our life realize how we actually invest have to invest a lot of trust that things are going to be all right all the time when we get up in the morning we basically trust you know for our normal daily functioning there's always this basic amount of trust we all know that we're going to die but we trust that's not going to be happen today and of course it's it's a reasonable trust because for most days in our lives that's going to be, you know, it's going to be true. That trust is going to be uh, rightfully invested until the final day comes where, yeah, okay, it, it turned out different, you know. We need, in order to just get on with our life, we need that basic trust, you know, and, and on, on all those days that we don't die <laughs> or, or whatever other things might go wrong, of course. So that's the near end of trust. The far end of trust, of course, is like the, the place where the Buddha is. No, where the Buddha arrived, where he said that the bottom line or the essence of his realization is that it's possible to live and not create any suffering about anything. So really to find a peace and happiness inside, self-sustained, which is completely independent from the external circumstances of our life. So from that position of where the Buddha is, actually everything is all right. You know, even if everything goes wrong, anything that can go wrong, the worst things, including death, anything. If you're at the place where the Buddha is, it's, it's all right. Even if it's wrong, it's still all right. You know? And of course, if you have faith in the Buddha, then of course, as we know, we, we might not be there, but it's a possibility also for us. I mean, that was, you know, that, what the, the Buddha uh, based his teaching on that, you know. It, it, if, if he could realize that any human being in principle can realize this possibility. So it's something that we can um, invest some faith in and that we can incline towards, we can, that we want to learn about. So that's where this becomes a very interesting practice suggestion then, of course, to trust in emergence. We can invest maybe a little bit more. You know, we can invest some trust that maybe this is going to work out all right, but then also we can invest trust that even if it's not going to be all right, still I can practice with this, I can learn from it, even if, if things go wrong, you know? or at least I can try to practice with it. It's still, it's, we can still trust and practice in that way. It's always possible to work with it in some way or another. Then the, the fifth one is to listen deeply. Now that one, in contrast to the previous one, it seems to be self-evident. Listening deeply, it always sounds better than listening superficially, of course. And so, yeah, in a way, it's fairly obvious. So to pay careful attention 
to what we're actually perceiving, you know, to what we open up to, to what we trust in, you know, to what is emerging. I also like to see it a bit as, if you like, as a corrective to the previous uh, practice step. Like if we take trust and emergence the wrong way, then I think we, we can maybe pick it up as an, as an invitation to be careless, not just, oh, just trust and emergence. No? Remember, I mean, the context of this is right speech. Like, say, if you go into a situation where you talk about some problem with your partner or with your boss or something like that, your work colleague, and then you, yeah, you trust in emergence. But if you take it too light or casually, then you might say, oh, well, you know, whatever. I just go in there and I just trust whatever emerges out of my mouth. It's going to be all right. <laughs> well, maybe on one level, but also, of course, maybe it's a good idea to make an effort to make sure that we actually say the right things rather than the wrong things or useful things you know, rather than useless things. So therefore, listening deeply you know, means we pay actually close attention to what is actually emerging. What are the underlying energies for, you know, uh, for those things that manifest things that emerge, be it in our own mind of what we, what we want to say or what's happening, happening around us. So then if you pay close attention, careful attention, then hopefully uh, we can pick up a bit more clearly what might be useful in a situation. What might be useful to share, what might not be useful to share. Um, so that we can actually distinguish between maybe what's, what's helpful, what's not helpful, what's wholesome, what's unwholesome. So and if, if we've done that, then the last step is basically just to speak your truth. No? You know, if this is about speaking, then the last step is actually, rather than the first step, you know, just speak your truth and then deal with the consequences. You, <laughs> if you do those first five steps, it's quite interesting, you know, if you do some of them, give yourself that time, it's interesting then actually the, the truth that you think is your truth, that you speak at the end of it, might actually be quite a different truth than what, what you would have shared or what you have thought was your truth if you, if you just speak out immediately and unreflectively, just reacting. And it's something that certainly, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've tried to practice with this a little bit over the last few months and I could notice them in myself. First of all, I notice how easily the same like with any of those practices, lists or just as mindfulness, how easily it, it's to talk about it and but how easily it goes out of the window when you actually need it. You know, I, I might have just given a nice talk about it and then a couple of days later I was actually in a situation where somebody pushed my buttons and I said all kinds of things. I'm not thinking about any of those steps at all. Only afterwards, you know, I just remembering and oh, Oh, wouldn't it have been good if actually you'd have practiced what you've been talking about just a couple of days ago? Yes, it would have been very useful. And sometimes when you do see, if you get the chance, maybe somebody upset you and you feel you've got a certain truth there that you need to let them know. You know? But then you get a chance to maybe, you, you don't react immediately, you know, maybe, maybe you're lucky enough to, that you can't because they're not there, and then you remember and then you just pick up that kind of reflection and, and you know, go through the steps and see what's actually happening. Oh, you know, when you're just rehearsing you know, the discourse that you're going to give them and then you just, oh, just pause. Aha, what is actually the energy behind this? Can I just relax a bit? Can I open my focus, pick, put in big, more the whole picture? You know, rather than just oh, me, how they hurt me, what I need to say. What, well, how might it be from their point of view? Trying to get in more angles, you know, to see it then we relativize our immediately kind of driven kind of perspective on that. And then, ah, okay. And then trust emergence, you know, I might just relax that and then listening more deeply. And then 
suddenly actually maybe suddenly you feel what you would actually have to say what actually you, you come actually to quite different truths about this matter and you see oh what i thought was my truth is maybe just the very superficial was just a very superficial ta take once i reflect about this a bit oh i find actually quite different truths in myself that, that might actually be much more worthwhile to share a uh, much more useful contribution to actually to a particular kind of situation or conflict to move things forward. So obviously, as I, as I said, this is, is resource lists. And when you are in the situation where actually the urge to speak comes up, then it's often maybe too late. You cannot just say, oh, just hang on a minute, um, get my manual out. What's it, you know, what, 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 what was it again um, before I respond? Oh, I just, just pause first. And, and, yeah, the whole thing is just already gone, you know. <laughs> You know, with, with, like with, the, with many of the, all the other lists, you know, that Theravada Buddhism is so, so rich, is, 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 to use that as something that when, when you've got the time, when you've got the good, pull one of those out and just think it through, reflect on those. And with, with many of those things, if you reflect upon it frequently, it becomes more kind of part of the way we operate, you know, as I say, second nature. So then it's more likely that in a situation where you need it, actually, maybe one or the other of those pops up. And of course, you don't always need to whole, take out the whole string of six steps. So sometimes maybe it's just it's enough to just have one or two that are particularly relevant you know, or, or attractive to you at a point. And usually when you just reflect on one or two of them, the others kind of, in some way or another, they all kind of all hang together anyway, isn't it? So, uh, right, so it's just uh, like to... Offer that for your reflection tonight.